This is Cher, author of Unbound, 100 Days of Intent, and Trauma Recovery Coach. I invite you to join me this week on another edition of Unbound as we unlock, unlearn, and unbind from the false beliefs that we hold about ourselves surrounding sexual abuse and domestic violence. It's okay, I'll jump in. I want to say something really important. Your worth is not a function of your knowledge or your awareness or your experience. You had worth as a baby and you didn't know bloody anything. That's right. You were an ignorant idiot. You didn't know nothing, right? So we have to be careful here. And also we have to understand there's a difference between ignorance and intelligence. Okay. Very big difference. I'll play into that. Some people confuse the two. They say, oh, look, uh, uh, no, just because you're full of information, you know, or uh, don't have any information, it doesn't make you stupid. No, that's uh, information has nothing to do with it, right? So sensibility, sobriety, character in your own self-worth, those aren't external things. They come from inside you. You have that. You just have to practice and bring them out and put them into application. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. So value is inherent in other one of the, the one of the key points about acknowledgement and acceptance for me, and that part is that that's the unlearning part, is how I have changed my view of my self-worth by going back to parts of my own story, parts of my book, and actually I can pull out some places sentence by sentence the definite the defining moments of changes and I can relate them, connect them from then until now what it was that happened to help that shift. And it wasn't an an event actually that shifted. It was usually just a shift in a way of being. You know, I mean, our self-conception we were talking about earlier, our self-conception, even my self-conception when I was writing this book, I thought that, well, okay, this is it. You know, I'm writing my story and I'm getting it published. So put the seal of approval on, you know, healing. Oh, no, this was the beginning of the awareness. And I'm just now learning that. So now I'm going through the steps of discernment and understanding. And that whole process, that's all the unbinding. Um, I like that, Erica. Yes, ignorance is a function of awareness and not intelligence. Okay. Um, so anyway, that's the whole process of unbinding. When you think about it, we've got, we go through awareness. We set our intent. We go through Acknowledgement and acceptance, which is also our, our part of our discernment. And then, you know, the testing is the biggest part. Proving it. Proving it to yourself. What your worth is. What your boundaries are. Where your values are. How much you've changed day by day. And I know some of you listening in here, some of my dear soul sisters, you're like me. You still question your worth. But if you really go back and look at it, you know, look at what you did yesterday compared to today. Did you, did you do something a little bit different than you did the week before or think something different than you did six months ago? I'm telling you, go back and look for the proof of your changes. It's there. You're doing it. So, <laughs> oh, my goodness. So have you got anything else you'd like to drop in? Oh, yeah, I just want to say a key element of a self-conception rather than a self-description, because one is open and growing, is to connect your self-conception to your intent to goodness. That that conception itself, intent to goodness. I, I, I challenge anyone listening here, unless you now somebody that, I don't know, some kind of Stalin or Hitler or somebody like that, you have an intent to goodness. Yes, every single one of you. This is what defines you. you. It's your core. You know, if you really boil everything down to its root essence, why do you do stuff? What's important to you? What really matters to you? It's your, it connects to an intent to goodness that you have. So how in the hell are you not a good person or don't have value? You have this intent to goodness. How much you exercise it and share it, that's a different story. You're not obliged to, but I'm just saying you can't determine 
your intent to goodness by exterior stuff. It's an internal thing. And some people don't even realize it's at the root. And they may even do stupid idiotic things and cause trouble because of a misapplication of their intent to goodness. There is such a thing as inappropriate application of goodness. We see this all the time. But it's very important to understand when you think of your own self-conception, really understand and acknowledge and accept and pay attention and remember your own intent to goodness. It changes everything. Absolutely. In your self-conception. That's why... Does that make sense? Anybody anybody have any questions on that? I mean, say, because now's the time. It's not just a simple conception. So, yeah, please ask if you have. Okay. Um, yeah, Elise was talking about, she said that... Um, she said that she appreciates, you know, the, the conception, um, but she doesn't really believe that everybody, you know, is born with good intent. Um, and, and we talked yes. about that. Yes. Some people do believe. It's a big point. Yeah. So, so let me address that real quick. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Elise, I, I can't say for sure that everybody is born with good intent. However, what I do notice is that even people who do the most ridiculous and absurd things in their minds, They are doing good. Now, whether they are doing actual good or not is a different issue, right? But what they believe they are doing is good. So, I'll give an example. They have corrupted ideas of what a good is. And typically this is, they believe it's good to be superior or to be dominant or to, you know, suppress people. Stuff like that, right? So, that's what leads to them doing all these horrible things. It's a corrupted idea of what is good. And this is a great tragedy and a great sadness. But even though they do horrible things inside themselves, in their uh, you know, foolishness, they still, in that bubble, they still think they are doing good. So it's a very tricky understanding. So yes, I can't say for absolute sure that yeah, there aren't people who are with bad intent, but if they truly had absolute, real, genuine bad intent to truly destroy and be bad, they'd end up self-destructing. As it would, it would nice to meet you. I wasn't ready. Time. Sorry, Cher invited me on, and I wasn't ready, so I had to put on a hat. But it's very nice to meet you finally. It's okay. That's okay. No problem. No problem. Girl, I asked you on because... We all understand that, Ed. You, you and I have struggled yeah. with... This is a set point. Yeah, you and I yeah. struggled with this concept of, because even me, uh, it, it took me, God, what, I'm 61, it took me until, what, two years ago to figure out that I've, I've got some goodness in me. I am right. not a bad seed. So go ahead, Elise, with what your your questions are. No, it's just, it's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately, too, is like, you know, fundamentally, I, I do want to believe that people are good um, because... I do believe that I have good intent, but do I fundamentally believe that people are good? No, I don't. And I want to believe that. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So let's look at the, you know, apply discernment here so we can get to a real understanding. It's not, uh, you know, at least my position here is not to say that people are good. Because when you say they are good, we are now lumping behavior and intent altogether. Yeah. I'm, I'm separating out the two. People behave terribly, but sometimes they do so because their intent is goodness. But what they believe is good is completely messed up. They believe it's good to be superior. They believe it's good to be dominant. They believe it's good to screw over everybody. You know, and to, they, this is what they believe is good. They've been taught what is good is bad stuff. So it's a really sad state of affairs. Uh, and you see this so often, you know, that people do this kind of thing that in their minds they think it's good, but it's complete crap. So we need to separate their intent with their behavior yeah. and understand that they can believe, you know, their objectives uh, can become very, very corrupted. And also then to look at our own uh, intents and say, oh, oh, what am I really doing here? Is this actually good or do I just believe it to be good? And and to separate out the two. It's no good to simply believe that you are doing something good and then you turn around. It's like people who say to you, oh, but this is good for you. You know, we're just doing this because we love you and it will be good for you. No, bullshit. You're just doing it for your own bloody reasons. I know it's not good for me. You know, I'm the one who decides, not you. So this is a very important distinction between the behavior and the intent and to clarify the two and make sure that your what you believe is good is actually good. Yeah? Yeah. 
Yeah. Does that make more yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Definitely. You know, when we start to break it apart like that, it changes the logic a little bit, and we start to see a little deeper. There's a massive difference between what people believe is good behavior and the underlying intent. Sometimes they intend to do good but cause great harm. So I want to make one more point because I see this on the internet all the time. You see posts, oh, love is everything, love is everything, love is fantastic and love is wonderful. Yeah, love is wonderful, but it needs to be, it needs to be love with awareness. Love without awareness is often absolutely disastrous. Amen to that. So has to be love with awareness. So whenever you see those, you know, memes or or people making posts, oh, love is everything. So yeah, 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 love is great, but it has to be with awareness. I always add that on there. So it's a big difference. It's a massive difference, and that's how we can understand a little better this difference between you know innate goodness, as in your intent to goodness, which I assume is kind of there because everybody's trying to do what's good for them. If they're trying to do what's good for them, it may be horrible for me, but they're still trying to be good in their own brains. They just don't understand that if they only focus on themselves, they're not part of the world, they're not cooperating, and it's going to backfire. It's a short-sighted mindset of goodness. It's a limited bubble goodness, not a bigger-term goodness. Mm -hmm. So when we look at these distinctions, these discernments, then we see a better picture. And it's very encouraging, you know. To me, theoretically, I guess there could be somebody who has an intent to evil who will just, you know, implode and try and make everything bad. It's possible, I guess, but I, I haven't really seen evidence for it, yeah. Mm. It's very interesting, though. But still, for the most part, if I just look at the regular people that I know, you know, people like you, I see people do all sorts of stupid things and cause all sorts of trouble, and they don't mean to. They don't mean to, you know, they're just ignorant, they're just unaware, you know. They, they, they have an intent to goodness, and for the most part, they're even trying to be good and they cause trouble. <laughs> so, um, fact, pay attention to the difference between behavior and intent. I was going to, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, I, Pat Coach, she left a very good statement. Um, she says, I say love is a decision. Love it, you know, so, uh, yeah, so love is Exactly, 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 and Exactly. exactly. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just getting excited because no. when you say love is a decision, automatically it makes it also possible. Intent. Exactly. It brings intent to do it. The moment you start to do things deliberately, yes. you bring intent. Yes, exactly. exactly. That's right, exactly. right there. Right there. Elise, do you have any other thoughts on that? I brought you... Um. No, not really. I'm I'm just enjoying the conversation. Okay. (laughs) It makes you think a little bit, right, Elise? I mean, what I'm sharing, it's a shift because we're so used to looking at at goodness in just one contextual frame. And the moment we start to break it up and say, whoa, you know, there's the goodness of behavior and goodness of intent. It's like, whoa, it all changes. And now when you bring in, you know, love as a decision, you bring deliberateness into it. When you start to bring deliberateness in, you bring in responsibility. When you bring in responsibility and deliberateness, this is when you get intent. Because intent is one more step. It's not only deliberate and responsible and thoughtful and concerned, but also intent is that you've committed to this. It's so important to you. It matters so much that you've invested an energy in to it and, and lots of it and it's an it's a commitment you really mean to see this happen that's what we mean by intent so intent is where you take all the and say this is what i really 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 want and when you really break down people they want goodness yeah. at least most people you know i guess there may be freaks you know the universe is all sorts of weird stuff but for the most part at least you know pretty much everybody i know so, put it that way. so on that, I, I need I need to piggyback on that, and I didn't mean it to like get in there. Um, oh, no, no, so when I when I uh, wrote the book, the original purpose when I wrote it for it was to establish being able to feel, being able to feel emotions and and feel something other than pain. Um, as I've gone through my self discovery even deeper, now that I'm moved further away from a lot of the grief and a lot of the emotional pain. Um, deliberate. Deliberately choosing to love myself. And this is going back to what Pat Coach had said. 
um, about, you know, that love is a decision, but it's also a decision when we decide to love ourselves. That is stepping in over that threshold into recovery. That's going from the side of trauma to the side of I am not a victim anymore. Now I am choosing to be more than just a victim. I'm not choosing to hurt myself any longer by revisiting, you know, that level of pain. So then when I, what I looked at even further, when I really started dissecting my own book, my own story, and even stories that I don't have in there, all of it was deliberate. And it was an intent to discover uh, all of the better traits and characteristics of me. Because I'm telling you, when you really don't like yourself, you can have all kinds of horrible, ridiculous things to happen to you intentionally. Yeah. You do it on purpose. Yeah. You know, the people that we seek, the relationships that we that we choose, even our friends, the people that we marry, all of that, that's all deliberate. That doesn't happen by accident. That's all yeah. intent and intent to, in some way, exactly. hurt yourself. Now yeah. I'm intending to love myself. Um there you go. There and you I go. Know. There you go. And get- yeah, it it, it was yeah. A, de- a deliberate. It was a decision, a very specific decision yeah. to recover, to love myself, to unbind from everything, but not erase my past. I don't ever want to forget anything that I've been through. Not because of anger, not yes. because I need to hold on to it for some righteous purpose. I don't want to forget it because it's a very precious part of me. That would be like cutting off my arm or taking out my heart or something. No, those are that's all precious to me. Everything that happened, every icky thing, and all the happy things too. We'll be right back after this message. So, yeah. so when you say you love yourself, sure, mm-hmm. right? I'm assuming mm-hmm. that this, and you know, especially since I'm I'm bringing into you know all the stuff that we that we've been working on and everything, the bigger conception. But let me ask ask you this, are you focused, is that love focused on your behavior and your habits, or what's more than your behavior and your habits? My spirit. It's focused on the essence. Exactly. The you that you love is more than your behavior and your habits. Yes, there's much behavior and habits that you'd like to change, but that's the key. You want to change those. In other words, the underlying deeper intent that is you, that's what you love not the surface expression, which comes about through, you know, all sorts of reasons that we get to behave and we have these habits that are a little bit messed mm-hmm. up. But that's external. The real you that's really inside there that's looking to come out to learn, to grow and understand and become more aware and be more discerning, more understanding. That's the real you, yes? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the part. Yeah. So we have to be very yeah. careful to not love what is not actually a real oh, yeah. us. Yeah. And not to confuse our behavior and our habits with what's really us. There it is with that choice. Does it make yeah. sense? Yeah. Elise, how about for you? Does that make sense for you too? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just absorbing it. I I'm just listening. Okay. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I, I like to hear the feedback, though, because, you know, uh, expression and communication is a very unusual thing uh, that you, you can say something and, and somebody gets it, but the next person right next to them, it's like, hello, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> so I, I like to share multiple perspectives. Yeah, no, I, if I need agree. Be. I agree. Yeah. I think, uh, you yeah. know, when it comes to behavior, like, like you were saying, I, I think uh, it's difficult yeah. because, you know, someone, like you said, someone can have really good intent and really crazy behavior. Yeah. And their behavior is yes. not yes. necessarily a, a yes. reflection of their being. However, exactly. the challenging thing with behavior exactly. is that, you know, it's the behavior and the discipline that creates the reality. Exactly. Creates the reality. Exactly. And that's why, exactly. and respectfully, and, you know, and I say this from experience, yeah. respectfully, this is why, um, you know, uh, co- coping with others who have mental illness is really challenging because there's a cognitive difference yes. between the intent and the behavior. Um, and, and I, and I yeah. you know, we could yeah. go down a rabbit hole with this and I don't want to spiral too far. But, yeah. you know, um, I think that yeah. not everything that's cognitive dissonance is a mental disorder or a mental illness. But I do Correct. think that that's Correct. what makes mental illness challenging is because 
You see the person, yeah. you see the being, yeah. you see the human, and mm-hmm. then you see the behavior and yeah. you go, oh, wow, what do I do with this, you know? Um, yeah. so, and this is just from my own experience of growing up with, you know, yeah. respectfully yeah. two mentally ill parents, one who's still living and is in much better shape yeah. than he was. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, it's really challenging. But I think, uh, you know, that's yeah. why it is important yeah. to do the to do the, the inner yeah. work and the understanding. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also to be aware that there's a difference between mental illness and craziness, at least the way I define it, yeah. right? Because we can have crazy behavior. Like I look at a narcissist. They're not mentally ill, you know, for the most part. Sometimes they might be, but uh, for the most part, narcissists are just indulgent. Indulgent. Yeah, and they're just caught up in a bubble. Yeah. It doesn't make them mentally ill, but they're certainly crazy as fuck. Um, as crazy as hell, sorry. I don't know how much you're PG or not, but sorry. You know, I mean, I'll, you know... <laughs> Exactly. So, so that which, which exactly, but they do things which are absurd and crazy and ridiculous, which to me, this is craziness, right? Yeah. But so when you define craziness as being caught up in a bubble, even non-narcissists, you know, us, all of us, we've been crazy at certain times. It's just being inside a bubble. When you think of, you know, craziness as being inside a bubble, you know, I, I get, I had a, crazy weekend and we did all the stuff. I went to a crazy party. What is all that? Being a bubble, an awareness bubble. And we yeah. can do all sorts of things because inside the bubble, it all makes sense. Yeah. But the moment you see it from outside the bubble, it's like, oh, what the hell was I thinking? What was I doing? You know, please don't post all those, those pics on, on Facebook. <laughs> so we, to understand it, though, it's bubble. It's contextual behavior, contextual yeah. awareness. And when we understand this and become aware of this, now we can look back at ourselves and see our past behaviors as the same thing. And whenever we're currently struggling, we say, where's the bubble? Where's the bubble? That's huge. Now I want to add one more huge point here. Right? In all of the stuff, like when the cockroaches come around and you were stressed, right? Rather than focusing on the stress and the bother, develop one new habit, just one, just one. And that is to ask yourself the question, how does this make sense? And that's capital M, capital S makes sense. Makes sense in the bigger overall universal context. How did it make sense for sure? It made sense because she wasn't putting the dots together. If she thought, how does this make sense? Oh, wait a second, it makes sense because this is connecting me to the past and I'm stressed and I'm feeling unsafe because the, the cockroaches are connecting to me when I lived in the Navy uh, time and there were cockroaches there. It was a very unsafe time for me. Yep. So there was a greater awareness. The stress was really a, a, a prompt, a stimulus, a suggestion okay. to look a little bit more, to look at that bigger picture and figure out how it made sense. It made sense because there was an unlearned lesson, an unlearned connectivity that was waiting to be connected to, to be learned, to be explored. Yes? Yes, absolutely. And that, that's what the whole thing about where um, I don't remember. I know I was I was complaining what, and it was. I was just venting and complaining about my neighbors, and I was trying to figure all of that out. And, you know, just the locations, right? So but then when I took that deeper then I was like, you know, what is what is the common factor? What was the common factor between now and where I am getting, you know, reminded of my past trauma? And the only thing that was was connected was the cockroaches, and that commonality. Yes, and that false I remember association, and I, I was connecting. I was associating the cockroaches with my worth, thinking that I was just. Not a worthy person because, you know, what worthy person has cockroaches in their house, right? In my mind. In my mind. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And Elise exactly. how I keep my house. She she stayed a month with me. She saw those big things. <laughs> um, and I do apologize, yeah. you guys, because I am in the middle of my work day. So if you see me typing, I'm, I'm multitasking. So I am present. <laughs> yeah, no, I problem, no problem. No problem. Yeah. Like, like in, in my sweat. No problem, no problem. So, anyway, um, yeah, yeah. so what, uh, what transpired with that, though, is that I made that connection, and that's how I went back to, you know, I was letting something so obvious just lay down on me. Sometimes you've got to make the obvious obvious, and, and I wasn't paying attention. I was I was letting myself stress and get triggered and triggered and triggered. It's like, what is this pattern? Well, Universe gave me what Phil likes to call a COVID smack, which is just a great big duh. The duh is the cockroaches. (laughs) 
they were triggering me. They were triggering my sense of worth, something that I was still... It made sense, though, in some wild roundabout way. It made sense. It did. Sense. It really did. But the interesting thing yeah. is, is once I made that connection, the stress, the anxiety, when I see them now, I just simply yeah. take care of it, and I don't freak out thinking that, oh, what does this mean about me as a woman? What does this mean about me as a, as a caretaker, as a provider, as anything? It means nothing. It means they are survivors just like me, and we're battling for space. I'm going to win. Yes. yes. So, so the issue, the key point, though, right, with making sense is to understand that always it comes back in some way to awareness. It does, every time. That's it. That's the whole world, life, the universe, everything, it all revolves around awareness. And you can quote me on that. You know, people always want the meaning of life. Well, it's very simple. It's all, it's all about awareness. There you go. Right? So problem solved for you. Everybody who wanted the answer to that question, there you go. <laughs> Free gift for you. <laughs> but it truly does. You know, and I said, don't believe me. You know, I, I say this all the time, Racha. Don't believe a word. I say, go and check it out for yourself. Just start looking at the world through this context to say, wow, everything is about awareness. Uh, oh, Sherbet, wow. And suddenly it will all fall into place. You don't have to believe me. You can go and test it and check it out for yourself. In Sher's case, it was all about awareness. She had to make this connectivity and to understand that there was stuff inside her, beliefs and ideas that came about because of very strong feelings and they were still linked, yeah. right? So we doing that course on feeling and believing. This is a very, very, very important understanding yes. to realize that feelings and beliefs can get locked together, can become associated and the one reinforces the other. And that doesn't make the other one true. They just reinforce each other and they make this lunacy loop. It just, right? that so, for instance, so much confusion. Uh, so much, I know exactly what you're saying. That creates so much confusion. Right, exactly, exactly, and it causes a lot of confusion because it seems so real, and we actually end up believing it's real. Why? Because, well, I feel it. It must be real. I feel it. For instance, I, I, the kid on the, uh, that's that's afraid of the monster under the bed, they feeling fear. And because of this, they have a fear and they don't know where it's coming from. The brain, we just have this natural tendency to try and put a reason to it. Oh, well, it must be a monster under the bed. Oh, okay. But now they start to actually believe this is real. Why? It must be real because the feeling, the fear is real. We, of course, from the outside know that neither are real. But for the child, that belief in the monster is absolutely real. There must be a monster because I feel real fear. Now, we see it as foolish for a child, but boy, look at your friends, look at yourself and say, how many things do I believe simply because there's some feeling associated to it, attached mm -hmm. to it? So it's a false association that's making a reality. And that's amazing. It's amazing. And when you can see this and understand this, you can start to separate those out and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. This association doesn't have to be so. The one is making the other two. It's a chicken and egg thing. They're both nonsense. And you can just throw the whole lot aside. So in, in Sher's case here, there was a belief of unworthiness mm -hmm. and, and, and insecurity and fearfulness because of the feeling that went from the past associated from a time when she had cockroaches and it was a very unsafe time and you know, there was all sorts of stuff going yeah. on. That came back yeah. now. But the gift of it, the capital G gift, the magic from the universe was, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, wait a second, these cockroaches are a fantastic gift for you to be aware of that feeling yeah. loop, that belief that your worthiness is tied to your house. It's not. Your worthiness has nothing to do with you keep a clean house or not. You can have a very clean house and be unworthy and vice versa. So it was a discernment exercise. There. Now, I want to make one more point. Okay. You came on Zoom the one time and you asked me very, very earnestly and sincerely and you're like, what exactly is discernment? Yes. yes. Right? You really, really wanted to know. Yeah, we talked about it, but the beauty of it is because you asked it with such intensity, with such an intent to know, you got this in your life. You got all these examples and, you know, the cockroaches and the, the neighbors outside and the, the smoke and all the stuff on their barbecue. This was all about discernment. Yeah. So it's, again, the universe revolves around awareness. And if you really want to know stuff, you'll get those answers. It's an incredible business. See, it's amazing. We can know things. Like you were talking about, we can read a meme, we can read a book, we can read or listen to things. We can get knowledge, but then to really understand it, 
to actually, you know, use your intent for understanding, um, to start with your awareness, drop down further into your understanding, understanding yourself. It's fine, great, dandy. So basically, what I guess where I'm going with that is that it's not enough to know. We also have to believe. And to get to those beliefs, to get to the true beliefs, the things are authentic beliefs, the things that we, we really need to look for those associations. I have been learning that so much of my own trauma, please don't cringe on this, people. The events happened, but the pain that we carry after that trauma, that is so very, in, in many ways, almost self-inflicted. We perpetuate. Yes. We agree. Yes. With that. And I 100% agree. Yes. Yeah. We don't realize we're doing yes. it. Yes. Right? We, the trauma itself has come and gone. Exactly. Right? So what's left is your association, your relationship to the yeah. trauma. And that is something that is what we determine, not the trauma determines. And that very important to understand. Right. And that's the purpose of unbinding. I call it unbinding. Sill's program is uh, the way of impeccability. He also has the Mornis project. He has um, the, the superiority paradigm, Sill, and the why is the title? Yeah, the psychology, the psychology of the superiority Psychology of the superior paradigm. Yeah. Great. Um, I, I, I got I to gotta tell you what. You can find Sill, of course. You know, his, uh, his screen name is up there, but it's S-Y-L. F-A-V-A, S-P-I-A-N, three Ds intentionally for awareness. Awareness and appropriateness. Appropriateness, awareness, and application. Yeah, well, the easiest way to get all of me is just through sure. If you know sure, you can get all of me through sure. That's very simple. But so, but you amazing Facebook community. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any yeah. questions who are listening? Um, please drop them in because we've got a few more minutes yet. I get about 15 minutes. Uh, we've gone right at about an hour and 15. Um, and, uh, I just want to respond to, to, to PAC coach, uh, and say, you know, this relationship between feelings and beliefs, it's huge. It's huge, huge, huge. I call it square circle logic. Uh, it's a long story behind square circle. Uh, it's a very cool story, but still, you know, it, in other words, it's something that you can believe in, that you believe exists, but cannot actually uh-huh. in reality exist. And uh-huh. so often those feeling belief associations yeah. are that. They, a figment of the imagination. But, uh, but it doesn't make it any less real. So the story of this is, I'll, I'll say very quickly, okay. it's, um, was an experiment on post-hypnotic suggestion and so they hypnotized the people and to them they say look here and they showed them this blank piece of paper but said here's a square circle remember it because at some point you know one of the the uh, testers are going to touch their nose and then you remember this and then you'll draw it okay so they went out and they were kind of milling around it was like a cocktail party type thing and then the person touched their nose and suddenly all of a sudden, oh yeah wow wow you know what i saw the square circle and they and they started to draw it and there, you know, this was something that was shared back way back when, when a, in, in university psychology class. And that was kind of where they ended. They just wanted to show, you know, post-hypnotic suggestion work. But they missed the point of the whole story. Because the guy happened to say kind of as an afterthought, and he said, well, you know, the subject started to draw this, or try to draw the square circle. And they got increasingly frustrated, and, and kind of, they got really stressed, because they said, but I saw it, I saw it, I did, I did, I did. I know I saw it, I did see it. I, and they really were bugging out on this. And this was, to me, this was the the major part of that whole thing. To me, it just blew my mind. I said, here are people getting stressed and bothered about something that's purely imaginary. Yep. Holy shit, that's where, so that's where square circle logic for me started. I said, that's square circle logic. They actually believe the square circle to be real. And it's so real, it actually stresses them. Now look around you at people and your friends, your own stuff. How many of them are getting stressed and bothered or hyped up or excited about something that doesn't actually exist? So just because it doesn't exist doesn't mean the effects of that belief aren't real. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. It truly is something to really pay attention to because we have this built-in assumption yep. that only real stuff is going to affect us. Uh-uh. Nope, nope, nope. Yep. 
nope, nope, nope. So, you know, so much of, you know, our issues are because of this feeling and belief loop that the one supports each other and it makes you believe it's real, but it's not. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Very exciting. My favorite story, (laughs) my favorite ways to always remember that, you know, my feelings, my feelings, they are there. They're real, but it doesn't necessarily make them true or valid. And it, and definitely when it goes to my beliefs. So it always helps me keep that balance that what I may be believing is not what I'm feeling and what I'm feeling is not necessarily what I believe. Um, so I always, Ask wow. myself, is this true? I always go back to that question. Is this true for for anything that I'm confused about, concerned about? And when I can't work it out, well, then I go sit on a Zoom with Sil. <laughs> Sleep on it. So it's, it's always so much fun, too. You know, that's a thing that people don't think. They think self-change and learning and growth, you know, and working on stuff. It's like, you know, I'm figuring out my problems. Uh, that's already there's this default association problem is stressful. No, what we do is fun and we aren't looking to fix your problems. We're looking to find replacements. This is a very, very important issue because we started with self-conception, right? You can take your old self-conception, this thing, this idea of you as this broken person and, you know, a a, a trauma victim and all the stuff. Replace it with something that you want to be. Something that you're working on being. Something that you practice every day, replace it with a new power conception that makes all the difference for instance, to give the example of why fixing problems doesn't really solve stuff you can teach your children not to steal does that make your children kind and courteous and considerate and thoughtful and discerning and aware no it doesn't, all it just makes them is not thieves so when you fix a problem you don't necessarily get the desired behavior but Teach your children to be kind and aware and thoughtful and considerate and understanding and discerning. Wow, are they going to steal? Hell no. How in the hell is it possible? So when you focus on the replacement as a positive that you want to be, it takes care of the crap automatically, especially when you put awareness into the mix. Exactly. Yeah? You can, most of the time people are doing stupid things because of unawareness. Yeah. Teach awareness and stupidity goes away. You don't need to fix your problems. What you really need to do is learn to be more aware. It's very simple. The problems will take care of themselves. Very simple. I, I want to address Nancy. Sorry, Nancy. Uh, just, Nancy was talking about shame. Right? And Nancy said this is question. Go ahead, sir. Okay. So shame is a big deal. Shame and guilt. Yeah. Again, look at shame and guilt in the context of, we said, how do they make sense? Right? We said earlier, ooh, whenever you've got the problem, you're stuck. Just ask the question, how does this make yes, sense? Exactly. It makes sense, Nancy, because it's leveraging you to be more aware. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Everything makes sense in the context of awareness. That's it. it that's, that's the key. It's the translation key. It, it opens up all the magic doors. So when you see your shame and guilt as a, as a spur, as a stimulus, as a prompt, you say, oh, 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 well, wow. Okay, so what do I do with my shame and guilt? What was I just saying two seconds ago about replacement? That's the only way to get rid of shame and guilt is to use it as a stimulus, as a spur, as a motivation to change. If you change, you truly, truly change, Nancy, and you become a different person, how can you feel guilty or ashamed about something that that you did in the past? That was a different you with a different awareness, with a different behaviors, different mindset, different habits, yeah? It's still a part of you, but you've learned, you've grown. In other words, by changing, you honor now that bad behavior. You are now making it right through change. Yeah? Does that make sense, Nancy? I wonder if we... I don't know if there's a lag or not, or maybe she's probably not looking at the screen. It could just take a moment for her to, to type. Oh, she says she can't hear the broadcast. Are you guys still Yeah, that's Anne that says that. Yeah, it may be that my, my connection dropped out. When I speak for a little bit longer, then it tends to drop it uh, it's a little bit. So, but you can you can just repeat what, what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so again, sorry to saying that Nancy's saying, I analyze and intellectualize. You need application. 
Sorry, Nancy. Analyzing and intellectualizing, it's a part of the process, yes. It's awareness, discernment, and, and understanding, yes, ADU, mm-hmm. but they are all leading you to application. Yes. It's, yes, you have all of those, but without application, all of that analysis and intellectualizing is useless. Yes. And I think, um, just to add to that too, she said, how do I know what is true? I think the best way to gauge whether or not something is true is to look at the result of where you were and compare it to where you are now. Exactly. 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 And we're not going to apply apply everything all the time, but like, for example, right? Like, I'll just use this as an example. Like, you know, we we do the, we want to always or at least I speak for myself, we always want to be doing the next thing that's good for ourselves, right? Or like if we're ambitious, we always want to be doing the next thing that is going to give us a result that, you know, is positive. And when we're doing that by default anyway, there's always going to be a positive result. The problem with that, though, and it's a double-edged sword, is that sometimes we don't have the, I don't want to say have the awareness, but we have a hard time looking back to see how far ahead we are compared to where we were, mm-hmm. you know? And, exactly. Um, yeah. I just had this experience recently, you know, because I was really depressed, even though in, in, in the, life is the ultimate duality, but I've been, been really depressed the last <laughs> couple of days, even though I'm in a really good place. And I was like, why am I depressed? Like, what's going on? I'm doing all the right things. Well, yeah. you know, your body keeps things, right? So yeah. around six years ago, um, this time, uh, my life was a, was a, a shit show. You know, I had lost my, I'd lost my mom. I had lost my family after that. I'd gone through a lot of trauma. I had moved in and out of a lot of different places. I was, I was going through it. So, you know, I had to sit and process that like my body six years ago went through some extreme, extreme things. And only now, six years later, do I have moments Six years later, I have moments I wake up and I look around and go, oh, wow, Elise, I'm really proud of you for all the things you've built for yourself. I'm really proud of the home that you've created for yourself. You know, so you almost have to kind of like look back and go back to your old self and say, I see you. I know you're crying out. I can see you hurting. And that goes kind of goes back to the inner child. Like, you know, I see you screaming. I see you, you know, yelling for me. And, and Nancy, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but feel free to reach out to me offline, too. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's a part of you inside that's still screaming for your validation and your attention and your love. And the only way to really know how far you've come is to say, you know, look how far I've come. Look back to where you yeah. were a year, two, three years ago. You've made improvements regardless of whether or not you believe it. Sure. But to know that it's true is to look at the results. Like for me, I was essentially homeless six years ago. I have to look at the results of my life and say, wow, I have this, like, beautiful apartment that I can sustain and I have a life that I can afford. Like, I, I didn't have that. and I, But I knew I would eventually. But that trauma part of us, that part that thinks we're not good enough, is always looking for the next best thing. So even though I've come yeah. so far, yeah. I, I'm still always looking for the next best thing because it is literally ingrained in my being. So mm-hmm. to unfuck that. Yes, it's a feeling belief loop. Yeah, to unfuck that or unbind that, excuse my language, is just exactly. look for the proof. Exactly. Yeah. So. Exactly. Exactly. So truth is a variable. Yes, it is. Sorry, people. I, I know a lot of you want to believe in absolute truths, but it's a variable. Because if you have believed something to be true, Right? And totally, absolutely were 100% convinced it was true. And then later you found out it wasn't so. If this has happened to you only once, ever after that, if you're honest, you cannot ever believe to believe a truth to be a fixed thing. Because you might still be in an awareness bubble. So, get over it and treat the truth as a variable. Yeah. Once we start treating truth as a variable to answer the question, how do I know it's true? What's more important is to look at the effect. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. It's the effect on what value, what usefulness are you getting out of it and in what context. If I'm getting value and usefulness, okay, so I'm getting value and usefulness, but it's only for today. And tomorrow I'm going to get smacked upside the head. You know, I'm getting value and usefulness and spending my rent money on the party. 
Oh, well, tomorrow when I have to pay the rent, it's going to be a different story, right? So, and look at your value and usefulness in the immediate, in the uh, intermediate, and in the long-term context. If you're getting usefulness and value, does it matter whether it's true or not? It's irrelevant. I watch TV. I see a nice movie, and somebody says something profound. I say, whoa, holy shit, that's really great. It doesn't matter that it's a fictionary character. So, whether the, it's true or not is irrelevant. I can get value out of things. Even if they're untrue, I can get value. I get great value out of, you know, the idea. Of, of alternate realities or afterlife. It, it stimulates me to be a better person or to learn or grow or whatever. I get value out of it. It may turn out not to be true. doesn't matter. We can get value whether things are true or not. And if you really want to get into even more detail, set your strategy so that you get value both ways. That, that's an important point to make right there. And, uh-oh. Okay. So your screen is spinning. <laughs> but he stopped at just a very perfect point. Um, is he froze on your end too, least? Okay. All right. But it, it, here, this is, that is actually a perfect segue into what I wanted to read. Just a little bit, um, a last excerpt from the book, Unbound 100 Days of Intent. And then we're probably going to have to wrap it up. Oh, still just dropped off. All right. So this is from the epilogue. My entire life, I hated myself and everything about me. It was hard work liking myself, but to love myself, no, I believed I was not capable. And there she was. In the mirror one evening, she took a picture of herself and her reflection, smiling. There were tears before the picture was taken and tears after. But she liked who she was and how... I can't believe I wrote this word in my book. How effing strong and courageous. The beauty in her image was the courage that was powering through in that one moment. She was loving who she saw. It was hard to see herself in her own eyes, but at the same time empowering. The feeling after seeing the image inspired her to be more. Not more as in famous or a following but more for herself. She wanted to be the best woman she could be for herself. That night was her turning point towards love, finding intimate, deep, profoundly moving love. She didn't have to search far because it was in her along. There had been days of internal searching, releasing memories with tears and laughter while keeping what mattered, her soul intact, letting go. Sharing her story with good intent. Sharing her life with others. So they can heal and have hope in this life. Sharing her love and watching her grow. I was loving her and what I was seeing. That was me. Then the other day, after a long talk with a deeply beautiful person, I fell in love. Not with the person I was speaking to. But with myself, with me, share, I'd never experienced love in this manner. Open, no expectations, no promises, nothing to lose. Just knowing her courage, the light inside her and the goodness that she possesses made me love her. She let go and let love. She had begun the process of shedding the baggage that was too heavy and she was starting new and was eager to learn. I love myself, and I love myself right now. Speaking off text, off script, I love myself more now than I did then, and not in a, dear God, narcissistic way, and that's something I still battle with, is being seen as vain. It's important to know that I love and appreciate myself. To know what loving yourself really means is to know peace when you sleep, the euphoric beats of music as you dance. The notes of love when you sing to taste food for the first time without guilt. To dream and know you can make those dreams happen. To wish and know you can achieve those wishes. To just exist without internal emotional pain or guilt. And to believe that you have the authority to live and love fully with wonder and excitement. And want to share that with everybody. To love your past and to appreciate the gifts that you were given. I want that for you as much as I want it for myself. Forgiveness 
is understanding. When we can grasp the concept of what story our abusers were living when they made the choice to hurt us, the process of forgiveness comes a little easier for them and for us. I'm going to leave that right there because there's some parts in there. I don't know. I'm getting a little bit of emotions right here going on. Um, and I think a lot of that is just because I am so passionate. Not only it, it's not about helping others, but it's about, like I shared last night, my message. I have one simple message, that there is more on the other side. There's trauma. There's the pain. There's the hurt, the anger. We can just take one step over that threshold. I'm somebody who will stand with you and walk with you. I have a community of family, chosen family and friends like Elise, like Syl, um, like so many of you that I've been recently, uh, you know, meeting the new followers, new connections that I'm making. The book is not just a story. The book is a testament to how people can change, how we can change. And what I originally thought was <laughs> what started out with the purpose of figuring out how to feel and how to be able to speak and express my story turned into a tool, a, a sign that we can do this. You can do this. You can move beyond victim. You can move beyond being a survivor. You can move beyond all the labels and create how do you want to be? Hi, this is Cher. I hope you enjoyed the special episode of Unbound that you just listened to. Now, I have a favor to ask of you. I need your support. Let's get the word out about Unbound, about what it means to be Unbound. And the more support that I can gain, the more value I can continue to share with you, my favorite listener. So get the word out. Hit the support button. Hit subscribe. Share the link. Let people know what being Unbound is all about. Thanks for listening, and until next time, be well.